it's uh, sweet to see everyone. Seeing you practicing, feeling your the strength of your practice. It's a delight, which is uh, the topic tonight. If one is lost in the forest and it's getting dark and we're getting a little worried and suddenly we see a path, there's such a wonderful sense of confidence. Wow, there's a way out of here. And a gladness and a delight naturally arises. It's not something we have to make happen. It's something that just happens naturally uh, when we see that there's a way out. So this state of uh, delight or gladness is the third stage of liberative dependent arising, which flows from skillfully attending to dukkha, leads to confidence or faith in the practice and, and in ourselves, and naturally leads to gladness and delight. We've all experienced some form of delight and gladness You know, maybe walking in the woods, seeing a sunset, petting our dog and cat. I've seen a lot of you, uh, a lot of your little animals on this retreat who kind of share the space with us. Gives me a lot of delight. Um, Maybe hearing a bird song, smile of a loved one. So many experiences can be a source of delight in us. We've all touched delight. We've all been touched by delight. I'd like to start with this poem from the Taragata, the uh, uh, elder monks. With beautiful darkening clouds, streams of pure water, and ground covered with ladybugs. These rocky heights delight me. Covered in blue flowers, as the sky is covered in clouds and filled with flocks of birds, these rocky heights delight me. Without crowds of people, but visited by herds of deer and filled with flocks of birds, these rocky heights delight me. Delight is both an aid and inspiration in meditation and a result of meditation. In um, practice discussions at IRC, I've been asked uh, if any of you who haven't been there, IRC has this beautiful grounds, you know, three acres of some forest and garden, and it's uh, just a beautiful place to walk around. And I've been asked, you know, Uh, Why pay attention to the sensations of the legs and feet in walking meditation? 
instead of all the beautiful nature around us. There's so much beauty to appreciate, to be present for. And of course, walking in nature is a wonderful, wholesome activity that does bring a natural delight. And the Buddha spent most of his life, most of his adult life, in natural settings. Nature can inspire us really deeply. I think many of you are very connected with that. But the practice itself can bring us to delight that's not dependent on any external conditions. It's not dependent on being in nature. It's not dependent on our meditation space, being quiet or just so. It's not dependent on the plumbing plumbing not leaking. Not depending on not being interrupted. On someone's love or approval. It's a delight not dependent on being healthy. Not dependent on being out of pain. And though the idea of freedom at the end of the path can inspire us deeply. It's only by being where we are at any given moment that we cultivate these wholesome states. It's like climbing a mountain, and though we keep the summit in mind, we can enjoy the climb. The delight is in the climb. This entire path is headed towards freedom. But as I think you all know from experience, the practice isn't so linear. It's not, I got dukkha down, now I'm working on faith. I got faith down, now I need to work on the light. Even though each link of this chain conditions the next, It doesn't mean that we go through it in perfect order and get liberated. The practice cycles through these states. We can have a moment of delight or happiness in the middle of a field of dukkha. We can have a hindrance briefly arise in a field of calm. The practice is about wholeheartedly meeting whatever shows up, whenever it shows up, not necessarily when we want it to. Making choices is an important part of our practice. Developing the skill in making choices is important. Whenever dukkha arises, we have a choice. We can go towards liberation or go back towards the cycle of dukkha. And we use the quality of investigation 
to see what's clinging and what's not clinging. And when we investigate any moment of challenge, any moment of distraction, any moment of clinging, it's that, that moment of, well, is this path? Is this not path? Is this letting go? And whenever we choose letting go, not clinging, gladness will arise, even in the face of significant difficulty. A gladness for mindfulness, for awareness. Um, some years back, <clears throat> I was mentoring a yogi who he had a really strong practice. You know, he sat regularly, sat retreats. Um, he was very dedicated to the practice. You know, he tried being mindful throughout the day quite a bit. Um, but he had an issue. And his issue was um, a huge pile of paperwork on his desk that never changed. And, um, and every time he would walk by the, this large pile, I mean, it would change. He would just get new papers added to it. But um, every time he'd walk by, his, his uh, mind would darken. You know, he would get contracted, you know. Uh, I don't know, maybe some of you can identify with that, you know, with a little bit of that, or you have your own version of that. Um, I suggested to him that he make, make it a formal practice, uh, that his desk would be his mindfulness altar. And that every time he approached his desk, he would bow and pick up one piece of paper, just one, and close his eyes and practice with it. I suggested that he connect with his body and emotions as he made his choices. And to remember that his deepest intention in practice is to let go of clinging. What he found is that much of the time he was afraid of making the wrong choice. What if he needed it someday? He discovered that many times that his fear of making a mistake is what kept him from, ask, from, from acting. And he realized again and again that it was okay to make mistakes. And as he did this again and again and again, he gradually developed his choice muscle and choosing in a wholesome direction. And eventually, once he approached his desk now, his mind would gladden in, in delight instead of darken. And in a similar way, we may need to remind ourselves uh, more than once, many, many times, that our deepest intention is freedom. And that being aware is more important than indulging in our stories and fantasies. The Buddha said, <clears throat> if one sees that a greater happiness is found by letting go of a lesser one, the wise person will let go of the lesser happiness. And every time we bring our mind into awareness, we're strengthening our choice muscle in a wholesome direction. 
And whenever we do that, whenever we let go, there's a lightness, gladness that arises. When we let go of something, we're always lighter. One less thing. And these choices we make either strengthen the conditions towards the next link, towards freedom, or they strengthen the cycle that perpetuates dukkha. When we're on retreat, and sometimes we've just experienced like a big episode of dukkha, and we live through it maybe semi-skillfully, we may feel a sense of relief, a gladness, and we have a choice where and how to direct our attention. It's usually right after like a big episode of dukkha, there's usually kind of a neutral feeling. And, and a sense of relief. And then the attention will either go into the present or will go into one of our uh, deep habits of mind. Uh, we, you might make the choice to be complete. Boy, that dukkha was such hard work, I deserve a break. And we indulge in fantasy. Or if we choose, yes, here, again and again, that perseverance of mindfulness as she builds the energy for delight and gladness, not only to arise, but to build into the next factor of joy, to strengthen and become joy, a deep, deep joy. But the hindrances are close by, and just under the surface, our habits of mind were all ready to cling. It takes paying careful attention to keep making choices towards letting go. No, I don't need to follow that train of thought. That we're easily caught. Oh, this sloth and torpor is pretty comfy. I think I'll coast here. As the meditative experience gets quieter, Mindfulness can let us see the choices of what is path and what is not path. And as we choose path, it's forward leading towards freedom. These choices get subtler but simpler. It's just an intuitive feeling that we can touch. And in the language of Gil, the ouch of non-path and the ah of path. We choose to be here over and over again instead of following an interesting thought or fantasy. It creates the conditions for the energy of the practice to build and lead us forward.
Imagine you're an actor or an actress in a movie. You're being filmed in a big dramatic scene where you just found out that your business partner, who is your lover, just left you and took all of your money. And of course, you're devastated and angry. But in the middle of all that suffering, that scene, the director says, cut. And suddenly, all the drama just evaporates. And that's a little what it's like when we're caught in a web of thinking. Awareness says, cut. And cuts through the delusion that these thoughts are so real and that they mean so much, that they're so important, that they have so much power over us. As our confidence in the practice continues to develop, we're able to more easily connect with gladness and delight. So if a hindrance arises, can we approach it in this field of delight with an attitude of gladness, just gladness of mindfulness, gladness of clarity, and we even see this hindrance and the confidence that we can meet it. Can we drop any ideas that the hindrance doesn't belong and shouldn't be there, that we need to push it away? Bringing gladness to hindrance is like shining a light to what's darkening, obscuring the mind. The simple being glad that we can see it. We can see the inherent clinging in the hindrance. And if we can see it, we can let it go. Or we can incline towards letting it go. When we bring trust or faith to any moment, gladness or delight can arise. A trust that we can be with sadness mindfully. A yes, there's a way to be with sadness. There's a way to be with every challenging emotion that comes up. Every challenging state. To be with fear. To meet fear with gladness that we're able to see it. We're able to practice with it. Many of you are familiar with all the research in recent years uh, about what they call plasticity of the brain. But in essence, it's actually very simple. If you practice something, you get better at it. It's called facilitation. It comes from the word facile or easier. And humans have gotten really good at practicing attachment. We've practiced these unhelpful ways of being so much, they develop deep grooves in our brains. Many of us have grooves for being judgmental of ourselves, being judgmental of others, 
We have grooves for chasing pleasure, grooves for avoiding discomfort. We have countless of mental habits that are born of clinging and perpetuated. Evenly, seemingly innocent ways of expressing ourselves. Um, I don't know if you ever find yourself saying, I found the best restaurant. You know, we might, what we might really be saying is, it's me, I'm the one who found it, it's me. You know, it's that, that quality, those habits of mind, of self-referencing. But whenever we practice with sincerity, with honesty, we facilitate the mind to turn towards our experience. And if that experience is that of dukkha or clinging, we can meet it with the mindfulness and we practice strengthening the ability to let it go. And every time we let go, we actually deepen the grooves in the brain that make it easier and easier to let go. Which actually prepares the mind for eventually letting go completely. Every time we relax the body, we can appreciate that we're letting go. Every time we relax the mind, we're letting go. This is the power of using conditioning to condition these wholesome states. Retreats are usually not linear. We don't typically go from a busy, clingy mind to a quiet, peaceful mind in a straight line. It might be that we have a sit permeated by a wonderful sense of the light, and then the next one's full of restlessness and aversion. Or maybe we just have one brief moment of delight, and then the mind is caught again. But this is exactly what the Buddha taught. Is the reason the entire practice is centered on dukkha and its end. It's pervasive. Of course, it shows up again and again. We're practicing. Can we say, hi, dukkha? How are you today, my old friend? I really want to know how you are. The presence of dukkha is not a failure of practice. It can be your inspiration to practice. We can incline the mind towards these wonderful states of delight, of joy, of tranquility. We can encourage them by letting go, by relaxing, by noticing the quality of how we pay attention, by consciously letting go of extra tensions. We can't force them to appear. It requires the conditions to be there. And patience is a wholesome condition 
we put in place over and over again, patiently. But each time we abide in these wholesome states, we strengthen them. It deepens those wholesome grooves in the brain. And as our faith strengthens, so does our ability to meet whatever shows up without fear or reservation. When I used to go to the gym, I used to love to do the cold plunge. Well, I used to hate it too, but what a great feeling when I came out. It was difficult going in and always very, very unpleasant, but I knew it was worth it. In the same way, when dukkha arises, maybe just a simple hindrance of restlessness, And instead of trying to get rid of it, judging ourselves for being restless, we gladly turn to it and fold it into the practice. Ah, that's what restlessness is like. The feeling in the body, the flavor in the mind, and the saying of yes to it. It's okay that it's here. It allows a relaxation, a freedom. And the trust that, yes, I can meet this. I can be with this. I can rely on mindfulness to show me the way. Anytime the hindrances arise, this dukkha, there is clinging. So here you are feeling delight, gladness. You're having a good meditation. Next door neighbor puts on some heavy metal music very loudly. And a little bit of aversion creeps in. Or maybe a lot. So we got something we don't want. And Duke arose very quickly. Do we welcome our teacher Duke? Do we feel the entanglement of our heart, the contraction? Touching it this way allows us to trust our practice. We have room for it to come and go. This entire path is headed towards freedom. We trust and have confidence in the path and in our own ability a gladness arises in us. Something relaxes in us, and a gladness arises, a delight in being present. And with continuity of practice, with steady mindfulness, steady awareness, the energy builds, and the mind state of delight brings forth a stronger joy or pity. The next step in this path of liberative dependent rising. So let's sit for a few minutes.